This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. In the untouched regions of the forest, the kōkako runs through the treetops feeding on leaves, flowers and fruit. The South Island kōkako, with its distinctive orange wattles at the base of the bill, hasn't been sighted in many years and may be extinct. A situation the blue wattle bird of the North Island may find itself in unless its habitat is preserved. Its delightful call includes a variety of rich organ and bell-like notes. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Community or Chaos. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community or Chaos. You should be able to catch this program later in the week in a couple of days. We're talking with John Gibb, a retired reporter from the ODT, just recently retired. John Gibbs gathered City News shorthand notebook and pen in hand for more than 30 years. A longtime university and science round reporter, he regularly attended University of Otago Council meetings and also looked at the agenda of the Students' Body Association and the students regularly and he covered their agenda. And he regarded himself as providing a voice for the voiceless. John, where were you born, and where did you grow up? Uh, I was born in Greymouth on the west coast and and grew up in my earlier life partly in Dunedin, but also at Mount Summers and in Canterbury and at Bluff in Southland, later studying at Otago Boys High School and University of Otago. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my father worked, did various things. He he worked as a radio technician, including when he was on the West Coast. He also um, was a Presbyterian minister for some time. And my mother worked in department stores for many years. So your father's always been communicating in some way or other? Yes, yes. Uh, um, yes my father was a good communicator. Who and what sparked your interest in writing? Um, I grew up in a family where books abounded and where reading, writing and discussing were valued. I read actively at secondary school and university and that flowed into an interest in writing. Anything anything particularly spark your, or any person particularly spark your interest in writing? Um, I I think some of the writers that I read... um, W. H. Auden, W. B. Yeats, you know, all of the the major poets and that. I think they sparked an interest in writing. Um, 
and um, you know, I yeah, so there's, there's been a long-standing interest in writing. Did school or teachers have any effect on that? Um, yes, I, they, I think I grew up in a pretty stimulating environment in secondary school, and um, you know, also the university environment was was uh, stimulating in terms of in terms of writing. I understand you recently published a, a book of some books of poetry. Could you briefly talk about your poetry? Um, yes, look, I um, I have been writing for a long time, and um, I had a couple of books out published in 2014 and 2017. Uh, the first one was the Thin Boy and other poems, and then the the, the other one was um, um, Waking by a River of Light. In 2017, I've got a, a third book which I've uh, largely completed, and it's just sitting at a publisher at the moment. Well, do you have a particular themes in the books? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to to think of the fairly wide ranging, um, fairly r- wide ranging um, uh, um, books. I think they um, sometimes they deal with um, challenges of isolation and connecting with a wider society. Poets need a certain amount of both connecting and isolation, don't they often? Um, yes, I think that's 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 right. It's sort of it's quite a it's quite a um, can be quite a quite a lonely business uh, writing but it's sort of you know there are um, times when you connect with other people you get to know other writers and you go to the odd poetry reading or you submit things to publications and get things published eventually I guess in some ways the uh, being a reporter is the opposite you're always connecting with people trying to listen to people um, yes well that's something I've always enjoyed doing listening to Listening to people, you know, as plenty of my friends can tell you, I'm not short of a word or two myself, but I, I do enjoy listening to, to other people. And, and one of the nice things about journalism is that you can, you can, to some extent, provide a voice for the the voiceless, or you can get, you can you can take um, little heard or sometimes sometimes rather marginalised or unpopular views, and you can you can. Um, allow people to have their voices heard. Where did you first become involved in print journalism? Um, well, I, I had a very long sort of involvement. Um, when I... Um, I mean, I first started studying at Otago University in 1971. I later completed a BA Honours degree majoring in English. And within a couple of years, I became a student literary editor. I edited the back poetry page of Critic in 1973. I co-edited and edited Otago University Students Association publication Literary Review in 1974 and 75. I got to know some of the current or former Burns Fellows interviewed and solicited material from some of them, including poets Ruth Dallas and Honey Tufari. And um, then I, um, uh, after I went to journalism school, I, um, 
I, I worked on wo- holiday work experience at the at the Whanganui Chronicle for um, a week or two, and I, they ended up offering me a job, and that then I worked there for over three years. So um, the Whanganui Chronicle was probably one of the, the the first professional job I had in that field. You mentioned that you got to know Huni Teferi, and who was the other poet? Uh, Ruth Dallas. How did you find them? Uh, well, um, it was quite a privilege to get to know some of these people. I mean, Honey was uh, quite a legendary figure. He was um, a wonderful writer. I think his first book of poetry was probably one of the most popular books of poetry ever. No Ordinary Son? No Ordinary Son was a fantastic book. That's the first book I ever bought in New Zealand. Oh, right. Yeah, well, he was... Honey was... Um, something kind of quite special. I think it was one of the best poets New Zealand's ever had and and actually a very um, generous and caring man. And um, Ruth Dallas was a wonderful writer also, so it was a really a privilege to, to meet and, and interact with those people. It was really... Um, um, Honi Tafari was... Really an exceptional poet, an exceptional person. He was one of the few, most of the New Zealand poets tend to be highly educated uh, intellectuals. Uh, that's yeah. not always the case, but that's been yeah. the general. And Honi Tafari was highly intelligent, but he, actually I think his poetry was a voice often for the unheard and voiceless um, Oh, and he talked yeah, about think. places to. He talked about the um, the effects of nuclear weapons in war, but he also talked about what it was like working on an ordinary job in a factory or a workbench or engineering location. And you don't get that much in poetry, but in New Zealand. But um, I guess. You and I have something in common. We <laughs> <laughs> no, he was he was he was a he was also a very a very generous man, Honey. I think he's probably one of the be- you know one of the best poets New Zealand's ever produced. And as as you, as you, I mean, there was a there was a um, a great line by W. B. Yeats that where he talked about um, I think he talked about mythology rooted in the earth, and Honey was very much sort of rooted in the earth. I mean, he really uh, just didn't float away into into ab- abstraction. I mean, he knew what it was like to be a worker and he knew what it was like to sort of you know, walk outside without a coat and get wet, if you like. And, you know, he you know, he was no, a, a sort of a, a poet for every man and every woman, I think. I am... Um I met him a couple of times. The first time I was supposed to pick him up for a... He was taking part in a protest of, in favor of beneficiaries in Dunedin. And I had, had a car at the time. I drove down and picked him up. And he a great person to have an acquaintance with. You're right. So these people inspired you? Um, oh, yes, I think so. And... Uh, I mean, I've been lucky enough to get to know quite a few Dunedin writers, and um, you know they—they're all um, they're, they're pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing people. What made you 
think of first think of journalism as a career? Was it your experience editing the uh, Otago University uh, review? Yeah. Uh, well, um, the funny thing was, I think I was very slow to think of it as a career, and I'd been sort of doing it on a very poorly paid or unpaid basis for probably close to ten years before somebody just chanced to mention to me around about 1983, which was you know quite a while later, had I ever thought of journalism as a career, and I, I actually hadn't, and, and I, but I thought that was a great idea, so I just I picked up that chance remark and applied for journalism. I had quite a quite a sizable cutting book of things I'd already had published, and and that was you know that was a that was a, a great suggestion on on that person's part. Oh, I might play some music. Billy Bragg, his, uh, his take on journalism. I think he was if he were reading the ODT, he'd write quite a different song. Because um, I think ODT is one of our premier uh, newspapers in New Zealand, particularly recently.
when you wake up to the fact that your paper is Tory, just remember, there are two sides to every story. Well, that was Billy Bragg's uh, comment on the British tabloid press. As I said, I don't think it really applies to particularly, it does not apply to the ODT as I read it. So, but it's still an interesting comment. We're talking with John Gibbs, a reporter for the ODT who's been uh, reporting the news locally for the last nearly 40 years. Could you tell us what was your first new? How did you find your first job in the Wonga New newspaper, a provincial newspaper? Um, how did I get that first job, or how? Uh, how did you enjoy it? Uh, oh, how did I enjoy it? Oh well, um, you know, I, I went. I worked at the Wanganui Chronicle on work experience during in 1984, which seems an extremely long time ago now, but. Um, and they were they were a bit short of staff, and they were looking for a reporter, so they offered me a job, and and I I found that you know it was a good it was a good experience. I I worked a lot of they they had a a three p.m. to midnight shift, which was somewhat antisocial. You know, you didn't get to meet too many other people other than work clients and people at the newspaper. But that I enjoyed working on the Wanganui Chronicle. I did the. Um, the police round mainly, and also uh, the other emergency services, and also did cover the environment, including the the opening of the uh, new, as it was then, Whanganui National Park. How did you end up working in the ODT? Uh, well, um, what happened was that my my father, Les Gibb. He, he died in um, in 1987 while I was still working in Wanganui, and I decided to head south again to support my mother, Margaret, and and um, so I I came back to Dunedin, and um, I was fortunate enough to get a job at the Otago Times, initially covering the University of Otago and the Otago Museum. And I uh, ended up doing both of those for a long time. Um, and, you know, coming back to see a bit more of my mother worked out pretty well because we actually ended up travelling together to the UK on something like 13 occasions for, for holidays. So she was something of an Anglophile and so was I. So we quite enjoyed those, those trips. What were some of the more interesting people you met uh, and as when interviewed, 
Um, well, I've, I've interviewed um, many interesting people, including Sir Edmund Hillary twice. Um, I mean, I mean, my 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 concept of journalism is that journalism is not just um, something about stenography. It really is about humanity. And I think um, Sir Edmund Hillary was um, really a kind of a world representative of humanity. And um, he was an unusual person in the sense that not only was he an extremely distinguished mountaineer and an incredibly quick problem solver when it came to mountaineering, like, for example, the Hillary Step, which was used by, you know, probably tens of thousands of other climbers. Apparently this was in a part of the mountain that was obscured from view below. So when Sir Edmund encountered the Hillary Step, he looked at it, worked out the best way of getting up, and his method was then adopted by many other people. But um, So that was... I mean, of course, just his achievements for humanity and his work for the Nepalese people, they, they, all of that was, you know, as impressive as his original mountaineering. I also got to interview quite a few other mountaineers and explorers, many scientists, including Sir Ian Axford, who was a, a former director of the Max Planck Institute for Aeronomy in Germany and a, a big exponent of it, robotic space exploration, including of Mars. There have been many other interesting people at Otago University. I just couldn't, couldn't name <laughs> half of them, but they included Professor Warren Tate in uh, biochemistry, who's become something of a world authority on what they used to call once Tapanui flu. And then there was um, also Professor David Hutchinson, who these days chairs the the Targo Museum Trust Board, but is also a leading physicist, and Professor Craig Roger, also in physics. So why did you receive a physics writing award? Uh, well, that's uh, something I'm still... Uh, scratching my head about a little bit, but I, in my early years at the Otago Times, I wrote many stories about research in the university physics department, including about aspects of space and atmospheric research. And these stories, um, I think, resulted in in this um, in this award, which I was very grateful to receive. Did some of them go into other journals besides the Otago Times? Um, well, I, I think they would have just, you know, they, I, th- in those days there was the Press Association, so some of those stories would have would have gone around the, the country, I guess. How have things changed in that way? Are, are newspapers as connected as they were? Um, I mean, you had the press association, international press associations. Yeah, I, I think I think it was um, sad in a way that. Um, we had the, pre- the, the New Zealand Press Association for many, many years, and it was a great example of collaborative um, interaction, you know, where the different newspapers would share material. I thought that was, that was great, because I thought it, it reflected two very positive things. One was collaboration and sharing, and the other thing was a strong New Zealand interest 
And, you know, at a later stage when uh, some of the newspapers were, became part of internationally owned chains, I think that um, desire to collaborate um, diminished somewhat and, and without being overly cynical about it, whether, whether the whether the strong interest in, in in New Zealand interest continued is a question um, for others perhaps to answer. But um, in these days, there still are some collaborative links. Like I think the Otago Day Times does collaborate with the um, New Zealand Herald quite well. But the, it's sad in a way that I think the, the, um, the Press Association the passing of the press association also represented the the passing of a more collaborative era in some ways. What would they actually do practically? What did they do? Yeah. Uh, well, I think they they sort of they re- they received stories from New Zealand newspapers, and they um, they sometimes rewrote them, or they sometimes had their own journalists and wrote things. And also they received material from overseas networks and they they processed that for New Zealand consumption. So it was a they were a sort of like a, a a national news agency for New Zealand. We're gonna play some more music now and then we'll continue. came from a timber from the body of a tree through the workshop of a luthier now it's all alone to me and it's good company after dinner and it fits my hands just fine but someday another singer with a pair of hands like mine will coax out songs much prettier still hiding in its strings and sing stronger braver words than I could ever sing Folks are gonna love it Of this I'm almost sure So I take good care of it Cause I'm borrowing it from her Pass it along Pass it along May it land in careful hands When we're gone You carry it for a moment But time won't loan it to you for long You don't own it Pass it along This here is my country Sometimes it's hard to recognize it But I count myself lucky To have been born inside it And I'm grateful for the rights Others struggle hard to win And you can be sure I'm gonna fight They try and take them back again Oh, and everywhere are teachers Though some fell along the way And the words they said still reach us Just like you're teaching me here today And you may not speak it loud But it's clear in what you do And I hope to make you proud Cause I borrowed it from you Pass it along Pass it along 
left to use putting patents on discovery making seeds that don't reproduce if our vision is so narrow seeing only bought and sold will end up like the pharaohs buried with their gold we've all pushed this thing along we've all been guided by our fear but the river sings a song we've got to be quieter to hear it's in every child's face new and hopeful as a stem best be gentle with this place cuz we're borrowing it from them pass it along pass it along made land and careful hands when we're gone you carry it for a moment time won't loan it to you for long you don't own it pass it along Pass it long, pass it long. May it land in careful hands when we're gone. Carry it for a moment. Time won't loan it to you for long. You don't own it. Pass it long. That was um, Scott Cook, a Canadian uh, singer-songwriter. And we're talking with John Gibbs, a retired reporter from the Otago Daily Times. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community of Chaos. John, we're, if you were a, a CEO of a major corporation and want, wanted to get your point of view across, you can have literally hundreds of PR people to do that for you at your beck and call. If you are a government minister or a major politician, you just call a press conference and you can use your very own personal PR person to get your opinion across. But what does a common person do who wants to be heard? Um, well, that's a, that's, a much, that's a much tougher task as you, as you employ. But, I mean, one of the things I think journalism is about is, is deliberately 
trying to include the marginalised, to include the excluded. You know, it's a, it's a, there's a, um, a slightly New Testament element to all this without being, you know, going um, uh, overemphasizing the Bible. But the, you know, it's a little bit like the lost shall be found, seeking you shall find. You know, in the sense I think part of the task of journalism is to deliberately try to include the um, the marginalised. Um, there are some practical things you can do. Um, writing a letter to the editor is is one approach, and some very important stories uh, in the Italian Times and and elsewhere have resulted from the humble letter to the new, to the editor. There was a case, and uh, I'm not I'm slightly vague on the details, but back in the 19th century, somebody. Um, wrote a letter, I think, to the Italian Times, uh, pointing out that there was a a sweatshop where people were doing factory work and they were being grossly underpaid. And this letter resulted in an investigation by a senior reporter. And uh, it kind of plugged into the whole um, desire in the 19th century to do something about sweated labour and probably contributed to things like improved legislation and so on. I mean, the other thing you can you can do is you can um, perhaps join a group of like-minded people or form a group. Um, you know, there are there are things that you can you can do, but um, it, it just takes a bit more effort. The other thing I, I do believe a little bit is that just as there are free energies elsewhere in the world, like sunlight and wind which can be used for drying your clothes or whatever else you wanted and the wind also but there are these free uh, media energies as well so that if you are um, representing a non-profit organization then you can go to a community newspaper um, and uh, you know to, to radio and you can quite often get your messages across that way. You've already uh, answered this partially, but journalism is really important for um, supporting democracy or changing society for the better? Yes, yes. Yes, should I do, would you like me to, to expand yes, a bit? Please. Yes, um, Yes, look, I, th- I think, you know, journalism is absolutely fundamental to to democracy i mean it's uh, the edmund burke's uh, concept of the fourth estate it's just i mean everything in journalism any good journalism is is positive for democracy because i suppose that um uh democracy um seems to be at least partly based on the idea that that um Every individual uh, in society has sufficient dignity and worth to warrant being included directly or indirectly in community level or national decision making and it's very hard to see how how you could be included in that decision making unless um, 
one is able to be aware of what's going on, what's at stake, what risks, harms and benefits apply in any situation. And that's information that's provided through um, through journalism. So it, it really is, um, in a way, um, some of, part of the lifeblood of a, of, a, of a democracy, I think. What's the distinct advantage and the distinction of print journalism from other media journalism? Um, well, I think uh, I'm a great variety believer in variety. I think it all it all contributes very, very strongly. Like um, Targo Access Radio, you're making your own contribution. Radio New Zealand, I think, is plays a huge role in New Zealand journalism and democracy. And um, I think print print has its own um, role. I mean, sometimes these are complementary roles. They do, they do slightly different things, but sometimes with print we can go into things in a bit more sort of detail sometimes. Um, and there's such a, such a variety of things that are offered within print um, journalism um, like as well as all the hard news stories that come out through the Italy Times, you've got things like the mix, you know, um, edited by Tom McKinlay, the ODT features editor, and and the mix just as a as an award winning publication, but it's got just a fantastic range of of different columns and different other things. I was just reading through the latest copy of the mix recently and I just thought look what a lot of um, EQ or emotional intelligence there is there so some of these things are not just about you know ideas in your head but they can also be about preparing you for a more sustainable society they can be about making you think more deeply about life I think it's sort of enriching you know and I just just like having a a photograph and adding a few colours to it, and I think all of the news media does that, and the print, the print uh, media certainly contributes. Last year, the the mix ran a long series on climate change, and I think uh, we've just about much of what we need to know about uh, climate change and not the dangers of, but also the things we might do and the things that might give us hope. Yeah, were there. Mm. It was like. Uh, having a civic lesson in print every week for a while on that particular issue. What motivates people to, to do that? Um, to, to offer that or to, yes, to read that? Um, well, I, I, I just think people... Um, I mean, there are certain jobs where... And I, I think everyone, you know, probably wants to or hopes to make the world uh, a better place. And I think um, there are various jobs that are just about trying to um, Im- improve community health and well-being. And I think, you know, that's very much what I see journalism is about doing. It's about um, it's about looking out for excluded individuals. It's also looking about evening the score for excluded or marginal, marginalised groups. But I think it's also 
um, yeah, it's it's also about um, uh, deepening and enriching engagement with society and preparing us for um, a better society in the future where we we can grapple with things like climate change and and so on. The the other thing I think that's great about it is that it's you're working in a sort of a, a shared space. Like now, sometimes with look, I'm not anti-social media by any chance, but by any means. But sometimes with some some social media now, we can have these algorithms that lead people into extremist rabbit holes, and they go into their own sort of sort of separate worlds. Whereas I think um, the news media can do a lot to sort of help reconnect people and to 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 have sort of shared experiences in a in a way, while allowing for individual differences, and I think, I think that's that's got to be great to have a little. It's sort of indirectly promoting a little bit of social cohesion, a bit of a vision of Dunedin and Otago, which I think is, you know, is a good thing. Technology has challenged uh, print media and the conventional news media generally. Um, not only do you have um, online and social media, but you also in New Zealand, the ODT is one of the few major newspapers that's owned entirely um, in New Zealand and by New Zealanders. Can you tell us a bit about that? What's the... Is it likely the ODT will continue to be owned and operated by for by New for New Zealand by New Zealand. Well, I'm certainly uh, hoping so. I think the uh, you know the Otago Daily Times is a is a sort of a you know not being paid to say this, but I think it I think it is a, is a well well loved and appreciated uh, newspaper. I, I when my first um, not long after my first book of poetry was published, I ended up talking to a. A women's group in um, uh, in Gore, and you know there was a lot of very positive comment that came out about about the ODT, and I, I think I, I you know I'm hopeful that it will remain an independent ownership. And um, there was sort of during the you know the the, the COVID nineteen pandemic in some ways. It's a bit like, you know, it was the, the worst of times. It, it has, there has been some, some positive things that have, that have happened, actually, because last year some, some publications initially disappeared when they were sort of basically um, switched off by their, uh, by their German owner in some cases, like, for example, The Listener. But then, um, happily enough, a lot of those publications have been switched back on, as far as I can understand, under more of a sort of a New Zealand ownership. And um, also with um, um, with Stuff, you know, Stuff was overseas owned, but it was bought back uh, through a management buyout for $1 in, in New Zealand last year. So actually now we have some more things that are, that are in New Zealand um, ownership, and I think I think it's it's good to have some things owned by your own country because New Zealand New Zealand has its own distinctive ways of looking at things. I don't think we need to apologise to anyone else 
about that. And I think we have some very positive things to offer offer the world. And um, uh, it's good to see some of it being retained in New Zealand ownership. And actually, strangely enough, we actually now have ended up with a bit more in New Zealand ownership, although you know, not everything, admittedly. Does the ODT have a... Sp- how, how are they owned? Is it family ownership? Is it a trust? Or um, well, I think I, I, I'm not an expert in this, but I understand that it's a, it's, um, uh, I think it's, it's Sir Julian Smith and the, and the, you know, family ownership. I understand is the, is the case. I don't, I don't understand the, the fine detail of that, but it, it, as I say, I think it's actually been an arrangement which has worked very well, and it's, um, you know, it's. It's, um, I think, served the interests of Otago and Southland people and, and others pretty well. Okay, I'm going to play another CD because this is a CD on poetry because I thought you might like that. Down by the river junior year Walking with my girl We came upon a place There in the tall grass Where a couple had been making love And they left the mark of their embrace She said to me Looks like they had some fun I said to her Let's do Still I taste her kisses and her freckles in the sun When I play the poet game A young man in the hill country, the year of 22 Went to meet his future bride She lived in a rough old shack that poverty blew through And she invited him inside She'd been cooking, ashamed and feeling sad She could only offer him bread and her name Grandpa said that was the best gift a fella ever had And he taught me the poet game I had a friend who drank too much and played too much guitar And we sure got along Reel to reels a rolled across the country near and far Filled with letters, poems and songs But these days he won't talk to me And he won't tell me why I miss him every time I hear his name I don't know what he's doing Don't know how our friendship died While we played the poet game Fall 
rain was pounding down on an old New Hampshire mill in the river wild high. I was talking to her while leaves blew down with a sudden chill, and there was wildness in her eyes. We made love like we'd been waiting all our lives for this. Strangers know no shame. But she had to leave at dawn, and with a sticky farewell kiss, she left me to play the poet game. I watched my country turn into a coast-to-coast -coast strip mall, and I cried out in a song. If we can do all that in 30 years, please tell me you all. Why does good change take so long? Why does the color of your skin or who you choose to love still lead to such anger and pain? Why do I think it's any help for me to still dream of playing the poet game? Sirens wail above the fields, another soul gone down, another sun about to rise. I've lost track of my mistakes like birds they fly around and darken half my skies. To all of those I've hurt, I beg you to forgive me, I to you would freely do the same. There's just so many things I didn't see With my eyes turned inside Playing the poet game Well, that was the poet game. I guess, isn't poetry about writing about life? In a, in a non-factual way where you're writing about your emotions about life yeah well it's um, <laughs> I probably it's probably a, an, an overquoted um, line from W.H. Jordan but the um, one line is that um, it's um, personal excitement made socially available but there's something um, you know poetry is uh I think all literature has, um, you know, there's, a, there's a sort of something, um, something sort of organic about literature in the sense that I think it, it, um, it, it, it sort of there's a yearning within literature to, to integrate time, the past, the present, the future, to, um, to integrate different parts of. Of people and society, and um, there was the uh, the T. S. Eliot lines. Um, these these fragments I have um, shorn up against my ruin. I've just lost part of the part of the quotation there. But you know, sometimes it is about bringing the fragments together and making things whole. And uh, it's certainly a very 
um, positive positive vision. I guess perhaps um, when things aren't clear, maybe poetry doesn't help. Maybe it doesn't clear us up, but it makes us live on even in the unclearness of things. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's... Um, there's um, really... Literature, I think, has got a tremendous uh, role to, to play um, in, in many respects. I think it, it, it does help to clarify... It clarif- helps to clarify uh, a lot of things in life. Like, many, many things in life are very confusing, whereas literature, I think, helps to helps to clarify and interpret some important things in, in life. It's always got to be a positive. Are you happy you chose a career in writing and in journalism? Um, well, I think that was a... You know, sometimes if you're standing somewhere and someone makes a chance remark, you know, that chance remark can be worth listening to. And I was very grateful for that chance remark because without it, um, I probably wouldn't have uh, gone into uh, journalism. And it's, it, you know, I, I've I've got a tremendous amount of enjoyment and pleasure out of it. And I'd, I'd like to think that I've helped um, some other people along the way. So it's um, no, I've certainly got no regrets about getting more into into journalism and and sort of journalism and other creative writing. Uh, there are those sort of links, like many people who have done journalism have also done other um, forms of creative writing as well. So you know, it's it's uh, no, I've been enjoying it so far. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for coming on and sharing your experience with us uh, on uh, Community or Chaos, John John Gibbs. Been a pleasure. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.